Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be talking about UK lending to small businesses. It's a very fine line between making sure the banks are doing what they should be doing to support the economy and lend to businesses and lend to households without sort of pushing them to take risks that they shouldn't be taking. We'll then take a look at fresh stress tests for US and European banks. Before it was, can they survive? How much capital do they need? Now it's actually, how far have they come? But we start today with bank bonuses and UK Prime Minister David Cameron's statements yesterday about not wanting to micromanage the financial sector ahead of the annual bonus season. Joining me to discuss this and all of the week's topics is Charlene Goff. So to bank bonuses, Charlene, as the banks are preparing now to pay out annual bonuses estimated in the city to to come to as much as £7 billion, I think it's fair to say that Cameron's comments yesterday have sparked fresh anger against the bankers. How do you interpret what he said yesterday? Well, I think it's quite interesting him saying they don't want to micromanage. They've actually been completely unable to micromanage and they they had wanted to put in place a sort of agreement with the banks to reduce bonuses and agree to sort of an industry-wide action to lower them this year, you know, to sort of quell public anger against bonuses. This was all part of the the so-called Project Merlin. Exactly. Seemingly still alive, but only just. Only just. And we're pretty sure that it's not going to have any real concrete plan on bonuses other than a sort of vague promise that they're going to be lower than maybe they would have been anyway but and lower than last year, which they would have been naturally. Because, because revenues are down in the sector. Exactly. Just remind us, in, in those talks, we've still got the two kind of part state-owned banks, RBS and Lloyds, talking to the government, and we've also got HSBC and um, Santander. But, basically, their standard charter dropped out several yeah. weeks ago. How soon do you think there's going to be news on what, if anything, gets agreed between the banks and the government? We're expecting something over the next fortnight, and this will probably include some kind of agreement on the issue of lending. That was the other key thing that the government was very keen to put in place. So as well as not seemingly having these real bumper bonuses, there'll be some kind of agreement on lending. I think we'll, we'll come, come back to that, to that in a minute. Yeah. This idea that you can impose from the government kind of restraint on the level of bonuses. I think it's fair to say there was a very sharp difference of opinion between the Conservative ministers and Liberal Democrat ministers yeah. in government on this. To what extent do you think that the whole so-called Skygate affair over Christmas from Vince Cable when he was exposed by uh, undercover Daily Telegraph reporters for um, being rather indiscreet in what he was saying about Rupert Murdoch, to what extent has that emasculated him? I mean, I think it really has. Before Christmas, the government really led by the Liberal Democrats, Vince Cable and, and Nick Clegg, the Deputy Prime Minister, they were really putting pressure on the banks, uh, you know, saying... Deliberately stepping up the rhetoric, didn't they? Definitely, you know, and they were saying that they would not turn a blind eye to bumper payments, you know, they would not stand idly by as the banks paid, you know, millions of of pounds out again to to their top bankers. 
But as you say, you know, the, the indiscretions that happened over the Christmas period really did emasculate Vince Cable and really left him without the ability to, to, to have much power in these talks. You know, yeah. he, he's lost his influence in the coalition. And I think that's given George Osborne and, and David Cameron, who also have said, you know, they want banks to be aware of the kind of broader political context, but they never wanted to act unilaterally when it came to more disclosure or fresh taxes. You know, they're much more attuned to the idea of European cooperation. So they've really been able to take centre stage and really push the Liberal Democrats back behind the scenes a bit. And that seems to apply not only to the investment bankers, kind of big bonuses, but also, as we were writing over the weekend, in particular to the chief executive, all of whom we have been told by both by bankers and by um, investors are pretty determined that the chief execs should get their due bonuses this year, very unlike last year when they were kind of forced by political pressure to waive them. I think there was a, that determination was there already. I mean, the, the bankers really feel that they've waived or donated their bonuses for the last two years, you know, they haven't taken a bonus in, since before the financial crisis. And they were saying, right, you know, we've actually come a long way since then. You know, they gave them up last year or donated them to charity. It didn't really have the effect they wanted of just quelling that public backlash. As we all know, it's as explosive as ever coming into this bonus season. So they felt that was a bit futile. But I think what the sort of division in, in the coalition has really paved the way for them to be able to come out and say, look, we're going to take what we're due and they don't think the government will be able to do much about it. We're actually going to get news from the first bank to report quarter four earnings this Friday, JP Morgan, giving us some indication of where the bonus trend is likely to go for them and for, for the whole sector. So we'll watch that very closely. Moving on to the, to the point that you mentioned on on lending. The Project Merlin, there was an effort to try and link the idea of some level of restraint on bonuses, or rather from the other point of view, for kind of letting the banks do what they needed to do on bonuses, as long as there was a sense of the banks doing their bit uh, on lending. It does seem likely that one of the f possibly few concrete things that's going to come out of this project is that there will be some kind of target setting for lending, which might worry some shareholders, I guess. I think it's really problematic, actually, and this is one of the reasons that it's taken so long to thrash out this kind of agreement. I mean, they've been in talks over this for months, and people had thought we could get something before Christmas, that it would be a fairly simple thing just to have an industry-wide target. But as these negotiations have taken place over the last few months, it's become inc increasingly clear that it is very difficult to get this kind of industry-wide agreement, and um, particularly on lending, when you, you know, that's a very fine line between making sure the banks are doing what they should be doing to support the economy and lend to businesses and lend to households without sort of pushing them to take risks that they shouldn't be taking. You know, that's at the core of this. You know, you don't want to put a target in place which is very ambitious and encourage, is seen to encourage a return to the kind of reckless lending that caused the problem in the first place. So that's one part of the problem. Secondly, you know, how do the banks work together on this? You know, we've got we've had RBS and Lloyds with their own individual targets for the past two years. Barclays, HSBC, Stanchart, Santander have never been involved in that. Stanchart isn't involved in this anyway. It's pulled out of the Project Merlin talks because it does very little business in the UK. Barclays 
particularly didn't want its own individual target, but they do seem to be willing to join up to to a sort of industry-wide. But but then you get this other issue of, you know, what happens if they don't meet it? You know, how do you punish the banks? How exactly. Do you... An industry-wide target seems to be... I mean, that the banks can't discuss with each other which lending they're going to do and which they're not. Mm. So that would be clearly anti-competitive. So the kind of industry-wide target can only be calculated afterwards by whoever's monitoring it, then you've got to wonder what sanctions there are if the targets are not met, given especially that even on the part state-owned banks, there was no comeback when both Lloyds and RBS failed to meet their targets last year. And the other thing is they often put a clause in these kind of targets that says, you know, we only want you to lend if the business is safe and secure and you know so if the demand isn't there then the targets don't really matter anyway and you know if you miss completely meaningless exercise it is really you know it's but it's a it's a pr thing you know it's a a pr stunt that will really give this impression that banks are doing something to help and we should get more details about that over the next two weeks it's also worth making the point that the chief executives of the two state banks rbs and lloyd's their bonus is, is already pinned to lending to small businesses and lending more broadly. So, you know, maybe the others could agree to that kind of um, yeah, target. Yeah, I'm as well. pretty sceptical on that yeah. myself. So, uh, <laughs> but we'll see, we'll see. We should turn now to our final topic of stress tests. It's emerged over the weekend that the big US banks are in the throes of going through another round of stress tests from the US authorities. This happened last time in May 2009, and it was seen as a very successful exercise then because it identified capital holes in the banks. And basically, the whole exercise restored confidence in the banks and the markets rebounded. The European authorities then, in the summer of last year, launched a copycat exercise, which was viewed with far more scepticism here, I think it's fair to say. The parameters were were widely regarded as having been less extreme, um, particularly on the whole issue of the bank's sovereign debt holdings. Nonetheless, perhaps bizarrely, the banks and the markets rebounded after those stress test results, which showed that only seven of the 91 institutions actually failed. But by November, they were shown to have been a complete, completely worthless exercise, really, because we had the two Irish banks, which both passed the tests, then effectively failing. They, they, had, to, they had to be bailed out by the uh, national government. That's a very long way of saying that we're about to embark on this whole exercise again. Do you think it's going to be a worthwhile exercise, Charlene, in Europe? I think that's the, that's the big question. I think there's no real doubts about the US in the sense of the health of the banks, mm-hmm. indeed, it seems like the hope is that this might um, allow the banks to return some money. Exactly that. That seems to give an almost more sort of positive angle on these stress tests, whereas before it was, can they survive? How much capital do they need? Now it's like, actually, how far have they come? And are they now at a point where they can think of increasing the dividend payments, restoring, uh, returning some capital to, to shareholders. So It's for probably a year now in the US. Some of the big shareholders of the big banks, particularly the strongest ones, the Goldman's, the JP Morgan's and so on, have been putting pressure on those banks to return capital through dividends or special payouts and the regulators have just said no exactly i mean i think they think it's too risky and particularly you know they've they've taken government money before they can even think about making a payout to investors they need to have that repaid they Mm. need to be on a much stronger footing they need to be very confident that they're not going to require any more sort of bailouts or help down the line before they even sort of think about returning cash to shareholders but these stress tests should hopefully pave the way to Mm. that and I think the timing um, you know they're trying to get these wrapped up by March and maybe that could lead to some um, 
buybacks or dividend increases sort of in the spring. Europe Um, is in a very different place. It is, absolutely. And, you know, we are hearing, you know, from George Osborne last week writing the FTE was saying he does really want to get a lot tougher, a lot meaner. He wants to really make this exercise this time a lot more meaningful. Interestingly, he said that in order to have credibility, the tests need to have the involvement of a of a more credible authority. He mentioned the IMF getting involved. The fact that he's going for that kind of involvement shows that he does really want it to be much more meaningful and tough this time. I mean, obviously, this is going on in the with the backdrop of the sovereign debt crisis still very much rumbling on. What do you think are the key criticisms that were made of the last round of tests that need to be kind of fixed for this one? They didn't pay much attention to banks' liquidity, which yeah. became such a huge issue in the final months of 2010. You know, these banks just could not get any access to funding, and it was that that really triggered the second bailout in Ireland. So that is a very key issue that will need to be looked at very closely this time. And I guess the easiest way of doing that is by looking at the reliance on wholesale markets for their lending. And I think the other issue that I I keep hearing people um, talk about is the lack of credibility around this sovereign stress test element of of the whole exercise. The test only looked at a very small portion of sovereign holdings by the banks, those that sat in the so-called trading book, which is a small portion of the overall holdings. So the the so-called banking book is where most of these holdings are. So it missed this huge exposure that they had to the most risky countries. Yes. Just finally on this, do you think there are any particular banks that we should be looking out for as um, vulnerable in these tests in Europe? Well, I think the big Spanish banks clearly will come under close scrutiny again, BBVA and Santander. I mean, they both passed yeah, you know, flying colours last time. The interesting thing about Spain was, of course, they did their stresses far more widely than... Uh, any other country, they brought in all their cajas as well, which are the really some of which are the really weak institutions. So more of those yes. as well, definitely. And then the as regularly recited, the Portuguese banks um, and some of the Italian. I think um, some of the Italians are the weakest uh, yeah. capitalised in Europe. I think it will be a very close scrutiny yeah. of those. I mean, so far the Portuguese banks actually haven't looked too bad. You mm. know, they have they have got fairly good capital bases you know yeah so they're in a very different position to the irish banks i mean the irish banks is, again we could see big further capital shortfalls but yeah. what more can they do i mean they're pretty much nationalized anyway now so. well simplistically i suppose the portugal story is a macroeconomic story and the ramifications that has for the banks as opposed to ireland and spain really where the banks have been at the heart of the country's failure. Anyway, that's, um, I'm afraid, all we have time for today. All that's left is for me to thank Charlene and thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Fulatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.